Tonight's uh, program, as every other program, is brought to you by BioSolar. 
Biosolar is a very is a very unique corporation in St. Petersburg, Florida. They'll come out and they'll put a if you're tired of paying very high electric bills, you can save 25 percent over the next I'm sorry 50 percent over the next 25 years on your bill, and you can sell the electricity back to the government. So it actually works out to a very profitable operation for you. Uh, if you have any interest in biosolar bio or solar panels for your roofs, give Patrick and the guys a call at 727-314-6976. Tell them you heard it here on, on Fighting Words, and you get an additional $200 savings. Don? Well, welcome to another edition on a Wednesday night of conversation on Fighting Network, and we got a great group tonight. Roy Cummings, of course, is always in Tampa, Florida. Merle Reese, the voice of the Philadelphia Eagles in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Larry Bowen, Clearwater. Nobody needs an introduction to Larry. Mike Zimzak will join us from Washington, and Doug Hamilton from Baltimore. So let's get started. Uh, Roy, a lot of activity. Uh, I guess we have to talk, first of all, uh, about the past weekend games before we get into this weekend's games. And your thoughts, first of all, on what happened with Brady and what happened to the Buccaneers. Yeah, first of all, uh, guys, I put it out on Twitter before the uh, weekend was even over, uh, the, the, the final game of the weekend. Uh, the Buffalo-Kansas uh, City game was, was still going on when I, I put out on Twitter. I said, this, this is arguably, and then I'm not even sure is there, there's an argument, the greatest weekend of, uh, of NFL football in, in the league's history. Um, the four games were just exceptional, uh, exceptional games. It doesn't matter who you're rooting for. If you were rooting for a team and your team lost, uh, it's unfortunate. But, man, oh, man, you, you saw an excellent game no matter what. And uh, every game was uh, really just top-notch. Uh, you know, there were obviously moments where, you know, play was poor. But uh, just, you know, the, the, the drama throughout all those games was exceptional. And, um, you know, you had some teams that uh, didn't quite uh, get uh, to where they thought they were going to get to, the, the Buccaneers being one of them. And, um, you know, you live and die by the blitz sometimes in this league. And uh, the Bucks are a team that have been living by it. And it cost them a little bit um, in this one. It cost them big time, really. And But, you know, I never thought they, they really matched up well against uh, the Rams. I, I thought all along this year that, if there was a team out there that could beat the Bucks uh, in the playoffs outside of Green Bay, which I thought they could, uh, but uh, other than that, I thought for sure uh, that team was uh, was was the Los Angeles Rams, and lo and behold, uh, they did it again. Well, it's very interesting. I thought I agree with your uh, supposition. Though the games over the weekend were something very very special, but uh, starting with the Bucks, I would, to be very honest with you, I was a little disappointed. I mean, when do you play in a championship game and kick two kickoffs out of bounds and give this the team that you don't want to give field position to, <laughs> give it to them on the 40-yard line? And that was only two of a bunch of mistakes that the Bucks made in Sunday's game. Yeah, you're right. Uh, like I said, there there were moments when, when the play was, was quite poor, uh, you know, on, on certain sides of the ball for uh, certain teams. And, and the Bucks, uh might have led the parade there. Uh, they, they played some some very poor football at times. And uh, you're right about the two kickoffs for sure. Coverage in the secondary, um, you know, a couple more drop passes and, you know, wasted opportunities. But 
you know, that's football. It, it happens, and uh, you can't control that. That ball, that football is oblong, and it's uh, it can't always be controlled. And that's one of the things that makes it uh, makes the game exciting. But you're right, the, the Bucks did not play their best football. You know, it, it kind of I think a lot of things that have been happening the Bucks. It's not like they've been you know kicking off out of bounds all season long, and, and you know they have been getting beat in the secondary on occasion. In fact, a lot. Um, but you know, this is a team that, despite their record, uh, to me, never looked like a Super Bowl team this year. Uh, they got hot, uh, just as they did a year ago when it mattered most in the playoffs. But once they got, um, you know, once they got a little pressure on them, uh, and faced a good team, uh, they, they, they tend to struggle and they struggled against good teams all year. The few they played, they struggled against them. They struggled against some weak teams, uh, down the stretch against the Jets for a half against Carolina. Um, so I wasn't surprised to see the Bucks uh, lose the game and struggle through uh, through many portions of it. So uh, it kind of went the way I thought it would go. Um, I, I, I also thought, it, you know, the Bucks did not have a problem winning this game, but um, if they weren't able to clean up some of the problems that they've had throughout the course of the season, and then you've got new problems on top of it, which they did end up having with uh, some of the offensive linemen being hurt and some guys not being 100%, um, it, it could be their, their death now, and it was. Well, they uh, they really made a game of it at the end, and uh, it went right down to the wire. But to be honest with you, I thought uh, the, the Rams were a much better team on that day. I don't even think the score was indicative of uh, which team was the better team. I, I think the Rams were a better team all the way up and down the board. Roger? Well, you know, Roy, a couple of things. Uh, I found it interesting that maybe the first time possibly ever, Tom Brady really uh, did not come right out and say that he would be back. And I found that interesting. And then on top of that, uh, later in the day, the, uh, yesterday, I guess it was, uh, Sean Payton announced that uh, he was uh, leaving coaching, at least for a while. And uh, it was I, obvious I heard it on NFL radio, but it was very emotional. And I think, what was it, 18 years that uh, he was with the Saints? It was started with uh, when mm-hmm. Katrina, and he brought Breeze in. And I think it just goes to show you, uh, and, and once again, uh, in his uh, press conference, it was a matter of uh, uh, his relatively you know, new wife, his kids, and uh, it, it takes its toll. And then uh, you see the teams that need coaches. This has been one of the lowest – uh, or the longest processes for some of these teams I've seen in recent years. What do you think? Yeah, first of all, uh, on the Brady and, uh, and, and Peyton, Sean Payton uh, announcement, uh, or, or non-announcement in, in Brady's case, yeah, he may be taking some more time this time around to, to think about it. And, you know, so part of that might have something to do with uh, his buddy Rob Gronkowski. You know, Rob Gronkowski came out uh, – yesterday or today and, and basically said that, you know, if I had to make a decision right now, I'd probably retire. I, I, I think, you know, they, when they got together here in Tampa, I think the idea was, Hey, let's have a, let's have some fun for a year or two. And, you know, they had some fun for a year or two. And, and now you start thinking about, Hey, you know what? We can both walk away from this thing uh, without too much trouble at this point, you know, but you never know, you know, we're one, one hit away uh, you know, one one injury away from from not being able to walk away from this thing the way we want to, and uh, 
Uh, maybe at some point you say, you know what, it's been a great career for both of us. Let's um, let's go out together. And I wonder if that's got something to do with it. You know, you hear a lot of people talking about well, how much does, does uh, Giselle have to do with this. Look, if she had her way in terms of Tom Brady uh, retiring, he would have retired five or six years ago. She right. wanted him to retire for a long time. And uh, and maybe she's finally gotten through to him on that. Maybe she's finally expressed, uh, you know, her desire in a way that's, that's you know, that, that Tom's saying, okay, you know what, maybe it is time to put the family first. And the kids are starting to grow up. I mean, it's one thing to have your son out there on the field with you during practice, but let's face it, Tom Brady's not out there, you know, playing with his son, uh, you know, he, he's he's concentrating on, on who the next team is. And, you know, if he starts to lose that focus, he knows he's going to start losing football games and it's going to get ugly. So he's not about to do that. I think if he wants to really concentrate on his family, uh, he'll, he'll walk away from the game. And, you know, obviously he's thinking about it, um, at least to some degree greater than he has in the past. Uh, and Sean Payton, it, it appears as though he did think about it. And, you know, he and obviously Drew Brees were – you know, we're, we're in this together, and, and maybe he decided, hey, you know, uh, Drew's leaving. Okay, I'll, I'm going to go through another year. And maybe he looks at it now and says, do I really want to go through another rebuild? Because that's kind of what you're looking at in, in uh, right. New Orleans, looking at a bit of a rebuild. You know, you could probably keep Jameis Winston as your quarterback, but, you know, how much, um, how much do you have around him? What's your defense going to look like? Um, you know, is he really up to it? And, again, who knows how, how much the family has gotten to him and said, hey, you know, we'd like you, to have, like you to be around. You know, maybe the wife wants to travel a little bit, not to places like Tampa and Charlotte um, and Atlanta, you know. So, um, well, let's uh, – I get it. You know, I, football people more than any other sport uh, devote so much of their time, their spare time to the game that um, family gets left behind. And um, at some point, you know, you, you kind of have to make that call. Is it really about my family or is it about me? And uh, – Sometimes when you put the family first, it's time to say, all right, got to put the game away. I think also, too, that all the opportunities down on broadcasting, you know, the New York Post had a story today that, you know, there's a possibility he would think in terms of making a move uh, into the broadcasting area, which would uh, obviously be a a lot easier on him, a lot easier on the family. And with all the different networks that are now become, in fact, the Monday Night Network are going to have to have two teams for for the four games where they split, uh, there's a lot of opportunity for, for analysts as well as play-by-play men. So uh, I think that's also a possibility that he may be thinking about. Yeah, and, you know, you look at Bill Cower, who when he first went into the television booth uh, or, or, or the analyst, uh, the studio, um, you know, he was asked repeatedly to come back. The Bucks tried to, to, to lure him back into, into coaching. I think what coaches realize, uh, a lot, some of them anyway, not every one of them. Um, obviously, you know, Bruce Arians didn't didn't care for it, but but some of them, you know, the ability to to still break down tape and and look at more teams and things like that. You, you still kind of you know your desire to to be involved in the game uh, is satisfied that way. You may not be coaching, you're not winning, but you know what, you're also not losing, and you're also not you know concerning yourself with. Uh, uh, some of the other difficulties that come with coaching, you know, the early morning, uh, you know, uh, getting up so early, being away from your family, you can get to, you know, kind of, you know, make up your own schedule here for the most part, but you're still actively involved in the game and in a high level and uh, a high profile uh, a position. So uh, I think it's really attractive. Uh, you know, it's working for Drew Brees. 
Um, it, it's worked for a lot of coaches. Tony Dungy certainly enjoys it. I don't think he would ever go back to coaching now um, or even take on a, a team presidency type thing. Um, you know, once you get a feel for, for the, the lifestyle of being a, a studio analyst or even a, a game day analyst uh, in the booth, I think you realize that it's, um, you, you still get the, the thrill out of it. Uh, you, you just don't have to worry about wins and losses and the pressure that goes with that. So, uh, and for a lot of guys, that's good enough. Roger. Hey, Roy, well, you know, I have a question for you, Roy. Go ahead, Frank. Um, you, you talked about an analyst, a guy who's come off the field, become an analyst uh, as he has. Davey Moore uh, now has, and, and talk about the presidency, Davey Moore bought the franchise for the new uh, football league for here in, uh, in Tampa. Um, it's, it's my understanding that his son will be uh, the general manager, but Bob Enriquez, who, who was an extremely good coach uh, here in uh, Tampa until he decided to get into politics, and uh, he found out that that wasn't for him, so he wants to get back into coaching, but Enriquez is going to be the head coach. And it's my understanding they're now practicing at uh, Jefferson, and they're probably going to play their games there because they can't afford Raymond James. Um, do you see that as as a, a step forward to him for him? For Dave Moore? Yeah, for Dave Moore. Yeah, uh, obviously, you know, look, he's got a very uh, successful insurance uh, company. He's uh, he's been smart with his money, obviously. Um, you know, he's highly involved. Uh, you know, with the Buccaneers, still as their uh, radio analyst, he does a great job with them. Um, you know, it sounds to me like it's something, it's an opportunity to get in and I'm sure he's got some investors around him that, uh, are helping him with the franchise. You know, ultimately it, it'll fail. Um, you know, I hope he's prepared for that. I'm sure he is. Dave Moore is a smart guy, but ultimately that league will fail and that team will never, uh, they'll, they'll be lucky to play a game. Um, you know, but it's an opportunity for people to kind of show their wares a little bit. And, uh, you know, yeah, Bob Enrique is an opportunity for him to get back into coaching and, you know, maybe, uh, you know, at a, at a, I guess, what would be a professional level. Um, but uh, it's never going to go anywhere. It's not going to turn into anything special. But it does give yeah. you an opportunity to kind of, you know, play the role of, of owner, general manager, uh, you know, coach again, that kind of thing. So uh, in that regard, it's uh, it's good. And it's interesting that Dave Moore is looking at uh, getting involved from an ownership standpoint. Uh, he's, he's a smart guy, no doubt about that. And, um uh, you know, for his sake, I hope it works out. It just, but I know that it won't. You know, Roger, uh, the other boy, question. getting back. Go ahead, Frank. No, that's what you go ahead, Rush. No, I was just going to say, uh, getting back to uh, Sean Payton. You know, there was some speculation uh, a while back that Troy Aikman really wants to uh, run a team. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, well, a couple of guys have. Okay, I mean, real. Uh, the uh, so I wonder whether uh, that might be uh, a calling uh, spot for uh, for uh, Peyton uh, to uh, to go to Fox and be the lead announcer. Uh, I mean, Greg Olson's the heir apparent, you know, with Kevin Burkhardt. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But Sean Peyton can change things, and I just wonder uh, about Troy. Uh, you know, after that surfaced, I don't know, I don't know, three, four, five months ago. Who knows? I mean, things change. But what about uh, – what do you think about the uh, the coaching or lack of uh, hires so far on these open spots? 
Well, um, you know, first of all, on the Troy Aikman thing, uh, yeah, look, I, I think guys get around it and you you, you, you gather enough money. You, you, look, you see John Lynch being involved. Uh, you know, yeah. guys that have, you know, been around the league for a long time, smart guys who want to stay involved but, you know, can't play the game anymore, mm-hmm. you know, they don't want to necessarily give it up. Um, they want to be involved, and that's why guys stick around. And I, I wouldn't be surprised at all to see – Sean Payton come back in a different capacity. First of all, I wouldn't be surprised at all if he came back as a coach somewhere either. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody decides, uh, if a team that's playoff ready uh, decides, hey, uh, we we want you to be our guy, and here's a, you know, five-year contract for, uh, you know, $50 million, it's pretty hard to turn that down. Um, Like the Cowboys. uh, Exactly. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So, um, you know, but uh, do you really really want to work for for Jerry Jones? That's that's the issue there. But either way. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot of ways to stay involved in the game now. And with the money that people are making uh, as players, coaches, and even analysts, uh, you know, you can, you can pretty much call a shot here. And uh, there's, there's enough money being made that you can get yourself involved as an owner. And, uh, you know, you, you see it, again, it's, it's a way to be involved. And, um, and it's, uh, for a lot of people, it's, uh, it works out for them. As far as the coaching uh, carousel kind of moving very slowly so far, I'm I'm actually happy about it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think teams are taking a little bit more time uh, to make decisions here and, and really vetting these these coaching prospects a little bit better. Maybe they finally come around to the idea that look, this isn't this guy that we just fired isn't our isn't the answer. But before we you know decide too quickly to to just you know move on to the next coordinator that that had a good season. Uh, you know, let's let's really vet this guy and see what you know, see what's going to happen here. Because, and I'll give you a, a good example. You know, Byron Leftwich. There's a lot of talk about Byron Leftwich going to to Jacksonville. You know, Byron Leftwich, great guy, um, solid quarterback in his day. Um, looks like he could be a nice coordinator, but you know, he didn't develop the system that uh, that he's been running here under Bruce Arians. Bruce Arians did. He may have made some mm-hmm. tweaks here and there. And by the way. Uh, he had the greatest quarterback in the history of the game playing for him for two years, and he was surrounded by a wealth of talent that you just don't find, that you seldom, if ever, find. So Crazy. it was kind of a no-lose situation uh, for for Byron Leftwich. Now, is Byron Leftwich ready to be a head coach? I don't know. I'd like to see him struggle as a – not struggle, but I'd like to see him as a coordinator without Tom Brady, without Mike Evans. Um, you know, without all those pieces that he had in someone else's system here in Tampa. Show me that you can be a coordinator before you can be a head coach. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, we, you know, again, Todd Bowles is the guy who's, who's continuing to get interviews. And I think Todd Bowles is probably a darn good defensive coordinator if you like guys who gamble, and uh, he does. Um, but is he a head coach? I don't know. See, Sean Payton is a head coach, and mm-hmm. uh, he's proven that. Um, I think it's very risky when teams decide to, to just go with the hot coordinator. I've said it here a thousand times, guys. You're probably tired of hearing it. But, uh, I've, you know, to me, that's really risky. And I, I think what's happening is teams are just betting these candidates a little bit better. Um, plus, also, let's face the facts, um, they're being forced to uh, follow the Rooney rule a little bit more closely. So they can't just go out and hire the first guy they want. Uh, they, they're, gonna, they're truly having to interview uh, minority candidates, and rightfully so, um, and consider them. Uh, so they've got to vet. In essence, they, they've got to vet these guys a little bit, uh, 
deeper, and uh, and I think that at the end of the day they're finding out they're probably learning a lot more about these guys by doing so. Also, Roy, you have to take into consideration that the, this is probably the first time in a long time that uh, you're not only hiring a coach, but you got to hire the general manager. So now you're in a situation where you got to get that general manager in place and then work with him as to who he wants to to sign on as a coach. So it's just not a matter of an organization that has a general manager for years and he's going out looking for a coach. It's a whole different process when you're hiring Back. both. Right. Yeah, it sure is. And and I'm 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 you know interested that some teams have you know not yet hired the general manager and they're already talking to coaches. I I wouldn't do it that way. I mean, I would certainly want someone who is completely on board with with everything I'm doing, you know, from the from the top down, from the owner down. And I think the best maybe I'm old fashioned, I don't know, but to me the best way to do it is you go out, you get your general manager, you you decide on a game plan going forward, what kind of coach do you want, what kind of team do you want? Then you go find the coach uh, who fits that uh, that mold for you. Um, I, I think that's the way to go. But you know what? Uh, coaching candidates are harder. They they get scooped up a lot faster uh, than GM candidates. So um, sometimes you have to move faster on the coach, even though it's probably not the smartest thing in the world to do because now you're kind of pigeonholing yourself in terms of a general manager. It's like, okay, well, this is the guy. Uh, you know, and I know head coaches in a lot of cases run the show. But uh, I also think that's a problem in the NFL, and, uh, you know, not many teams can, can successfully do it. Yeah, one of the few was uh, Andy Reid. Uh, uh, Roger, we'll let you wrap up this first segment of the program. Go to it. Yeah, I was just going to say, uh, following up with Roy with that, Andy Reid did it from almost the very beginning. I mean, with the Eagles and, and obviously with the Chiefs. And, I mean, even let a general manager go that was his guy. But I did uh, hear today that one possibility, uh, and that's Jim Caldwell to Minnesota now that they have a a general manager. And I always thought he was a terrific coach and anybody that could win in Detroit with the Lions. And I think that getting back to Todd Bowles, as you mentioned, at least he has head coaching experience, but it was with a team with not a lot of talent. You know, with None. the Jets. None. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You're right. Well, you're seeing a lot of uh, guys who, who had the opportunity at one point, Todd Bowles, uh, obviously Caldwell, Raheem Morris, getting interviews again. And I, I'll be, I won't be surprised at all if all three of those guys end up with, with coaching jobs. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, but, but I think, and I'll leave you guys with this because I know you got another guest coming up. I think the NFL needs to start thinking about things a little bit, just a little bit differently in terms of how they, um, they, in essence, uh, prepare coaching candidates to be head coaches. You know, in, in Major League Baseball, you have a lot of guys become go the bench coach route. They're the bench coach, and then they become a manager. And and I really think that the NFL needs to kind of come up with a system similar to that. Not someone who's a coordinator and focused on one side of the ball but someone who's basically an assistant to the head coach who's doing all of the, uh, you know, all the, all the, all that administrative work as well as preparing game plans and dealing with both sides of the ball, if not all three sides, it's included special teams. So I really think the NFL should start thinking along those lines and preparing people to be head coaches, not just coordinators. And that means that a coordinator, you know, spends two, three years as a, uh, an assistant head coach in, in what is really an assistant head coaching capacity, 
Um, I, I think it would be better for the game and in, in the long run, better for teams uh, when, it's, when the time comes to hire new coaches. Um, I, I think it's something the league has always kind of lacked and uh, I, because we have so many failed coordinators make the jump to head coach. Um, I think it's pro- and now we're going through the cycle again, you know, with the Todd Bowles, the Caldwell and the, and the Raheem Morris. You know, I, I think again, that, um, you know, it's, to me, it's, it, it, it's a real roll of the dice, whereas I think it's a little bit less of a gamble if you've got someone who's kind of been groomed to be a head coach. Uh, so, you know, just a, just a thought, but uh, who knows if the league will ever uh, go that route. Roy, thank you very much as always. First half hour, Have a great very, week, very Roy. pleasant, very informative, and we always uh, like to kick always. it off. And thank you very, very much for starting the show off again in a great fashion tonight. Well, thanks for having me, guys. As always, we'll do it again next week. Have a great week, Roy. Well, we're going to stay right with football because uh, we have Merle Reese on the line right now. And uh, before I ask him a question about uh, the Philadelphia Eagles or the National Football League or coaching in general, Merle, are you the longest-lasting play-by-play broadcaster with one club working today? Yes. In in one word, yes. (laughs) That's easy. What, what year did you start? I don't. I mean, I rem, you and I talked about a show the other the other week, but <clears throat> I don't it, remember it was, which, was which a, year it was that you it, started with it the was Eagles. A, it was a snowy day in 1903. <laughs> 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 no, Don, I started. I started with the my well, play by play. I, I took over the play by play seat when Charlie died, uh, Charlie Swift, and I did the last two games of the 1977 season. And then I was hired the following spring uh, to be the voice of the Eagles. Well, we talked a little bit with Roy. You heard it just a couple of seconds ago. And, uh, of course, the Eagles have gone through a, a number of different turmoils about who to hire, who's the coach, who's going to be the general manager, who's making the selections for the draft. Uh, you had some interesting thoughts about the draft and the three picks that the Eagles had the other day when we chatted on another show. Maybe you'd articulate on that a little bit. Well, first of all, Don, I think that what I was speaking about was exemplified on Sunday if you saw the difference that the Rams' defense made, and in particular Aaron Donald. Not that there's an Aaron Donald in this year's draft because you never really know, but I think that it is imperative for the Eagles to find a way to move up as high as they have to move to get a difference maker in the first round. And if it means trading two of their first-round picks to get to position number five or six, they may have to do it. Because, first of all, the the biggest difference maker, at least going into this draft, is Aiden Hutchinson, the defensive end, the edge rusher from Michigan. And then right after him is Thibodeau, the uh, rush rusher slash linebacker from Oregon. But uh, there's there's no way that uh, Aiden Hutchinson or even Thibodeau are going to be there in the middle round of the first round. round. But I still think the Eagles have to move up far enough to get somebody like well, Jordan Davis, the 360-pound defensive tackle, uh, from the, we, we saw him, what he meant, the University of Georgia. Or somebody like Kyle Hamilton, the great safety from Notre Dame, 6'4", about 225 pounds. They must get a defensive difference maker. There is no question about that. That is first and foremost. Then with the other pick in the first round, uh, you can get a maybe a wide another wide receiver to complement Devontae Smith, but that's the way they have to go, I believe. Roger, 
Hey, Merle, you hit the nail on the head. Now living in uh, outside of Atlanta, I got to tell you, they, uh, the dogs are loaded with top-notch uh, defensive talent, I'll tell you. And, but I wanted to ask you a question. I've been meaning to uh, ask you a long time, for a long time. Uh, the Eagles have been in three Super Bowls in your tenure and obviously won one. What was it like comparing the first one to the one with Andy? What was that? Oh, was that, oh, what, 08? 05? 04. Oh, wait. 04. Okay. Yeah. And then, of course, a couple of years ago. Tell me about the emotional uh, uh, part of from uh, your perspective of your own emotions. Well, my own emotions, my emotions didn't change. Uh, I was excited to get in the Super Bowl to Super Bowl 15. I was excited in Super Bowl 29 and excited, of course, in Super Bowl 52. Or was the second one 39? I don't know. I lost track. But the uh, regardless, when you get into a Super Bowl, it's a very, very exciting thing. But I learned something. And I learned that when we flew, one of the most disappointing years was 1980. Or actually, yeah, technically, it was 1981 when they played 81. in New Orleans and they lost to the Oakland Raiders back in the 80 season. And they were the favorite in that game. Remember, they had beaten the Raiders at the vet during the regular season. And Dick Vermeil brought them down to New Orleans and everything was, was tough and you know, buttoned down, tightened and worked hard to get ready. And the, the Raiders were running around Bourbon Street all night. But the game, the game started, the Raiders came out loose, and the Eagles did. Now, I'm not saying that the formula is to let your team loose on Bourbon Street all night, but those were the Raiders. But the, the thing I remember most is the Eagles got off to a bad start. Ron Jaworski was picked off a couple of times by Rod Martin, and the Eagles never really got back in the game. And that hurt. That hurt. But, and, I, and I remember flying home on the team plane the next day, and all the guys were saying the same thing. They said, to win a Super Bowl, you have to get there first. We now know what this entire experience is like, and next year we're going to come back and win it. <laughs> it didn't happen again. That was 1980 and 81, and it didn't happen again until 2004. Same feeling in 2004. They were a really good team, and they got off to a good start against the Patriots in Jacksonville and just – couldn't hold on. Everybody points to McNabb. My feeling about that game was the Eagles could not stop the Patriots' pass rush. They were all over Donovan McNabb, and Tom Brady stood back there in the pocket, and he could have read War and Peace before he let through go of the ball, <laughs> and, they, and they, just, they just annihilated the Eagles. Not so much on the scoreboard, but they thoroughly dominated them at the line of scrimmage, and the feeling again was, wait, we will get back there and this time we're going to win it. You know what? You get to a Super Bowl, you better win that Super Bowl because it could be years before you get back to it again. The funny thing is that in 2017, the Eagles were probably not the best team. They were heading that way until their so-called franchise quarterback, Carson Wentz, went down. And then if you remember, Nick Foles really struggled when he came in. Uh, he won one game against the Giants. He struggled against uh, the Raiders, uh, struggled against the Cowboys in the last game of the regular season. And somebody, somebody in the press conference after the final regular season game had the guts to ask 
uh, asked Doug Peterson at the press conference, do you think would you think about starting Nate Sudfeld in the playoffs? And Doug just looked at him. And then in the playoffs, Nick did not have a very good first half against Atlanta. But, boy, did he come to life in the second half. And then the Eagles actually got fortunate in that with a, with a go-ahead possibility at the very end of the game on a pass to Julio Jones, he didn't hold on to the ball. And, of course, the Eagles won that game. And then they came again the next game. They came up against Minnesota, and the Vikings scored first on a pass to the tight end. And then the Eagles came up with a great interception and uh, that was returned for a touchdown, and then it was off to the races. That was the greatest whipping I have ever seen in an NFC championship game. It was an amazing game where the Eagles did everything. Nick Foles was spectacular. They had the uh, the flea flicker with the pass to Torrey Smith. It was an amazing, an amazing win for the Eagles. It really was. Fun time. And, Fun and, and time. now, but again, but again, you're going you're going up against the Patriots, and people are yeah. saying, "How oh, the Eagles aren't going to beat the Patriots down there?" I I'll tell you a funny story. I am in the lobby of the hotel. We stayed at the hotel, which was attached to the Mall of America. In, uh, in in the, um, in Minnesota, in fact, that, that was the coldest week I ever remember. Oh, I mean, it was. My wife came down. Cindy came down on Saturday, and she sent pictures home. And people were saying to Cindy, "Where did you get black and white film? Because to put some <laughs> black and white on your to shoot on your camera." Cindy said, "Everything here is black and gray." It was it was the most. It, it, look, you know, I I I sat on the bus going over one day to the team. I said, "You know what?" I'd rather be a swallow, a seagull in San Diego than the voice of the Vikings. That's that's how bleak <laughs> that place was. It, it was it was absolutely terrible. But anyhow, the Eagles go over there, and so so it's Saturday. It's the Saturday, the day before the game, and I'm standing in the lobby, and all of a sudden someone comes up from behind me and lifts me into the air, and I'm yelling, "Put me down!" And he put me down, and he's laughing, and it's Legarrette Blunt who I had gotten to know. I mean, he turned out to be a big factor in that game, in that season. Oh, yeah. And he also turned out, if you got to know him, he was a terrific guy. He was anything but the image that he came in with. And he looked down, and I was wearing on my hand, I was wearing my NFC Championship game uh, ring from, from 2004, which they were nice enough to give me. And he looked down at that, and he said, what's that? I said, that's my ring from the <laughs> NFC Championship he said, you know what that is? That's a loser's ring. I said, well, it's the only ring I have. He said, you know what? We're going to get you a real ring tomorrow. And darn if they did. They went over and they took control of that game. And after the game, I went down and he yells across the locker room, Merrill, we promised you a real ring and now you're going to get one. But that was, that was the most fantastic experience of my life. That's a great That's story. A great that really story. is a great story. Oh, One what thing, a great story. The Eagles the Eagles have had more controversy in the last 35, 40 years about the quarterback position probably than any other club in the National Football League. But one thing, uh, the fans love to get on the quarterback, Merrill, for good things and bad things. They always look that direction. But it was never proven that a quarterback is more important to any club than the Kansas City game this weekend. I mean, to score 25 points in, what, two and a half minutes? I mean, those two quarterbacks, 
You both couldn't them. make that up. No, yeah. no, both of them. I mean, it was it was it was a duel in the a duel in the sunset. It was unbelievable the way they went back and forth between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. It was spectacular. But you know what people forget when they look at Jalen Hurts and they say, "Where is he?" and look at these quote elite quarterbacks, and certainly they are elite quarterbacks. Do you remember? Do you guys remember what Josh Allen was like in that first year in Buffalo? He oh. hit, he, he he threw it into the stands half the time. He right. was so wild. I mean, he wasn't the Josh Allen. And look, Patrick Mahomes, oh, he's one in a million. But do you remember that Patrick Mahomes did nothing but get splinters for an entire year? He didn't get off right. the bench. He watched Alex Smith for one year. And even you right. go go against the other, talk about the other amazing quarterback, and that's Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sat on the Packers bench for two years before Brett Favre before he got into play. Here's a kid in Jalen Hurts who comes here as a second-round draft choice in the pandemic year where there virtually was no preseason, no preseason games, and then he gets into the season, and he's, of course, behind Carson Wentz. He has no first-unit reps, and then he's thrown in in the Packers game and then starts the last four games. And then, again, this summer they had training camp. But, again, and I, I think Nick Sirianni did a really good job But if there was one thing that I would have done differently, and I think you might agree, is that I think they had three preseason games. And if you want that team and you want those young players ready for the start of the season, they've got to get more than 10 snaps. That's all he had, 10 snaps in one preseason game. I think this year, if you want him to come out and show the improvement that I think he's capable of, I think he's got to play five quarters. I think he's got to play a half mm-hmm. of the first game, a half of the second game, and a quarter in the third game. And they still have two weeks. They have a bye before the season begins. So so give him work. Let him work with the offense. Let him work with Devontae Smith. Let him get into the, the whole feeling of running that offense. You can't do what they did last year and expect a big improvement. That's what the preseason is for. Roger? Oh, no, I agree with you 100%, Merle. And I think Ray Dinger was talking about, and you may know the guy, uh, he's a quarterback guru, I think, on the West Coast. And mm-hmm. a lot of these young quarterbacks have gone out and worked with him. And that's what I think Ray told Glenn, you know, on their show, that that's what Ray would do is send Hurts to this quarterback guru because look at what he's done with these other fellows. Well, I don't know. There's probably a bunch of them. There's probably five of them or six of them around the country in different parts of the country, at Texas and, and out in California. But there's there's a bunch of these guys scattered around who are, you call them quarterback gurus, but what they are are guys who know the position very, very well, and they're able to watch him and tape him and go through the mechanics every single day and make him a better mechanical quarterback. That's right. what they can do. They can clean up all of that stuff, and they can – I mean, they can't invent an arm. They can't make a slow runner fast, but they can really break things down and tighten up the things so that he is more accurate. You know, he has – people say – I've seen it written that he has a – he doesn't have a strong arm. He has a very strong arm, a very strong arm. It's not that. There are times when he waits too long to release the ball, or there's times that – Perhaps he has somebody and he overshoots them. But 
He has the arm strength. He has above average NFL arm strength. There's no throw that he's not capable of making. And that comes straight from Doug, Doug Peterson. Uh, he'll tell you that. There's every, he can make every throw you have to make. But there well, I are thought you made a great example the other day. And, and uh, you talked about, first of all, the width of the field. But more importantly, yeah. that uh, he was able to throw the ball across the field, which is, what, 53 yards? And 53 and a third yards, to be exact. Yeah, 53 <laughs> and a third yards. And he had as much mustard on that ball going on 53 and a third yards. It's not that he doesn't have a good enough arm to throw it. He did he throw does. it. Yes, yes, he has that. You know, when people look at the bomb and say it, the ball is over, overthrown or, or underthrown or whatever, and the, you know how long the average bomb is? The average bomb is probably 35 to 40 yards in the air. Uh, you know what? The average high school quarterback can throw a football 50 yards in the air. That's not the big deal because they just lost it out there. But the arm strength is measured by the velocity and the trajectory of that 20-yard out pattern. And he can do that. And that's one of the things that makes Brady so successful is because he throws the ball so hard, and you've got to have the right group of receivers that are going to make those catches. I mean, he, it is very, very difficult. You forget bad weather or anything else. It is very, very difficult. Gronkowski is just a, a total rarity. But he doesn't drop the ball. Right, right. You're talking about, well, that's the thing about Tampa Bay, the kind of, kind of tight ends that they have. I mean, look at, some of, look at the tight ends in this league right now. Uh, Gronk is one of them, but they also had O.J. Howard. They also had Cameron Brait. But then you look, at, you look at Kansas City, I mean, how many times do you see a game end with an acrobatic touchdown catch by Travis Kelsey? Or how many times do you see somebody in San Francisco make, by the name of George Kittle, do things that seem physically impossible? They're unbelievable tight ends in this league. Unbelievable. unbelievable. And I think the Eagles have – I'm not going to put him in that class, but I, I don't think he's far behind. I think Dallas Goddard is pretty darn good. Roger? Oh, yeah, I agree with, with that. I think he's terrific. And you're right, uh, you know, Merle, we'll go back to the Super Bowl and uh, Trey Burton and Zach Ertz, et cetera. You know, I mean, they had uh, terrific tight ends on that team. Well, it was Zach Ertz who caught the winning touchdown pass. Yeah. And, and, and well, Trey it's, uh, your entire time with the Philadelphia Eagles and in the National Football League, the National Football League East was continually year after year after year, if not the best conference, certainly very, very close to it. The last couple of years, uh, it just hasn't happened. The Giants have gone south. Washington has gone south. The Eagles have had their ups and downs. Dallas came back this year a little bit, but even scoring more points than anybody else. They couldn't win in the playoffs. Uh, I can't imagine how they're going to build this nationally East back up again. Oh, it happens. Everything is cyclical. I mean, we used to talk about for years, they used to talk about the, the NFC North as the black and blue division. And then they went on a hiatus for a long time in the 80s. And then they came, they came back now. But you know what? Other than the Packers, the Vikings aren't that good. They, you know, the Packers are in a pretty weak division. The Lions certainly aren't that good. The Bears certainly aren't that good. So, you know what? 
if if you really look at the National Football League today, the, the with with thirty two teams, the talent is dispersed, and it's it's the you know, with all those players, you're not going to find the dominant divisions, the total divisions that you once did. Roger, we'll let you close this out. Larry Bowles waited to jump on board. I'll let you get the last question in. Merle, Angelo Cataldi's in his last year. <laughs> as as the morning host, I say I love him. And I mean, you're on there. And what's it going to be like without Angelo in the morning on WIT after the at the uh, beginning of next year? Boy, I hate to think about that because Angelo has done a wonderful job for a lot of time, a long, long time. He really moves the meter. He's one of the great morning men in the history of Philadelphia. And, and you know what? When I began my career, Philadelphia had another great morning man who dominated the market. But, of course, it wasn't a sports station then. It was a middle-of-the-road music station. But that market was owned by Ken Garland. The Ken, Ken Garland. Garland. Yeah. Absolutely. He owned the market. Absolutely. And then Angelo mm-hmm. came on later uh, once they really went to sports talk, and, and he's terrific. So who knows? Who knows who's out there in the wings? But, uh, listen, I hope Angelo comes back and does a lot of things for many, many years to come because he is truly a treasure. But uh, he is I'll a tell treasure. you what, I, I love doing this, and, and I, you know, I, I, I will not give this up until they come up and remove me with a crane. I'm not going anyplace. <laughs> you should. Earl, thank you, you very, very much Absolutely. for your time. A lot of fun, a lot of great stories. And I'll tell you, I hope you'll join us again soon. Sure, I will. And please give my Thanks best so to Larry Burrow. Larry Bow is one of my favorite people in the world. Give him my best. I certainly will. He's one Thanks. of everybody's favorite people. He is. Absolutely. Larry Bow, step up to the plate. I, I know there's some things you can't talk about, Larry, but uh, I, I don't. I, I want to talk about something off the chart right now. Uh, we got one player getting into the Hall of Fame this year, Big Poppy. Uh, what, what would be your thoughts there? Because so many other players that have been really disqualified from getting in uh, because of marginal whatever it may have been. Uh, and Big Poppy seemed to be able to overcome all that, and he's the only one that got into the Hall of Fame this year. Your thoughts? Well, Don, uh, uh, I, I do think there's a lot of guys that are on the outside looking in, and there's some guys in there that I'm sure that if they did more research that they would find that uh, everything wasn't on the up and up. So to me, there's, there should be a wing down there that they put these guys in and then just put this was the steroid era, and uh, that's how I would do it. But, again, uh, it, it's such a di- – delicate situation it's really i don't know i don't think there's an easy easy way to do this i really don't uh but there's a lot of guys in the hall of fame don that that their skeletons in their closet let's put it that way i couldn't agree more one other thing before we get to roger up there in atlanta and that is that uh, the new york mess before the lockout made a host of pretty big changes, uh, signed yep. some big players for big money. The Phillies seem to be standing still. I know you can't talk about individual players, but the Phillies stood still all during the prior to the lockout, and they got some real work to do before spring training comes about. 
Yeah, yeah, we do. There's no question about that. But you're right. The Mets have made some big time changes. Uh, I still believe Atlanta is the team to beat in our division. And I still think that they're going to sign Freddie Freeman. So, but I don't think when you say we have not done anything, I think Dave Dombrowski has made a lot of calls before this lockout. So I don't think it's going to be a matter of, oh, God, he's got to, everything's got to be real fast and, and furious. I think he's made some contacts. This is just my gut uh, before this thing has happened. So I do think we're going to make some moves. I don't know what area, but I do think once this gets settled, which I hope is soon, that uh, I think we're going to make some moves that are going to help us compete Roger. in that division because that, that division is going to be a tough division. Oh, boy. No doubt about it, Larry. And, you know, it's very sad that uh, Ryan Howard's off the ballot now. Uh, what, you got 5%. Uh, Jimmy Rollins made it 9.4%. And Jonathan Papelbon. And that's really sad because I think that they were uh, that great team, 08. But the other thing is they were really tremendous assets to Major League Baseball and baseball as a community. And I mean, where you're at that, you're first and done. I mean, in, you know, in Ryan's uh, case, uh, in Papelbon, I think that's ridiculous. Well, you know, obviously these rules have been in effect for a long time. And, uh, but I agree with you. Ryan Howard, I mean, he had a very good career. Papelbon yeah. did a good job. Uh, you know, I guess the knock on, on Howie is that. He didn't play long enough, uh, or he came to the big leagues at a late age. But if you really want to break it down, I mean, I'm not comparing the two here, but Sandy Koufax had six years, so which was obviously dominating years. But mm-hmm. if you look at it that way, Ryan Howard, uh, he was at the top of his game for six, seven years. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't, I don't really know the, the parameters, what they're voting on now, how they're voting. Uh, to me, in my own opinion, I think there's a lot of politics involved in that. But, again, I, I'm not on the committee, so all I do know is that Ryan Howard and Papelbon, they, they brought a lot to the, to the, to the city. One of the, one of the people that I felt for years and years and years was Kitty Cat. I, I, I couldn't believe. I mean, how in the world could you pitch in that many games, have that many wins, and – not only pitching that many games, but pitching that many games in six innings or better. And you, right. you've got to wait to 25 years to get into the Hall of Fame. There's nobody going to be close to his numbers. Right. And, and the way the game is now, definitely not. I mean, uh, the innings are going to be way down because, you know, the game is structured now. We, if you give me five or six innings, then we go to the bullpen. So that part of it's going to be different. But, I mean, you know, if you look at, at – and I, I, I compare this to, not to me, to just shortstops in general, Phil Rizzuto and Pee Wee Reese. I mean, if you check their numbers out, I don't think either one of them got 1,000 hits. But the fact they played in New York, and obviously they were successful teams there, that had a lot to, to do with them getting into the Hall of Fame. But, you know, you talk about guys that should be in. I mean, Fred McGriff, I mean, come on, this guy, his numbers are off the chart. Uh, right. Gary Sheffield. If you take a look at Bobby Abreu's numbers, I mean, pretty good numbers. So, yep. I mean, I don't know 
I don't know the direction that they go or what they're looking for. I know wars, the war part of it is is brought up a lot, but uh, I, I don't know, Don. I don't know if there's a right way or wrong. People say maybe retired players should pick it. I don't know if that's the answer. Uh, but you have some writers that, to me, they they didn't even see players back when we played. So right. I, I don't know. It, it's very confusing. I know it's very difficult to get in the Baseball Hall of Fame, but it is confusing, and I think a lot of people are confused by it. Roger? Well, I would like to see them go, <clears throat> pardon me, to um, like the NFL or the Pro Football Hall of Fame, Larry, to be honest with you. I, where it's it's more open, uh, you know, there you have somebody that uh, presents you, and I don't know uh, how the Baseball Hall of Fame uh, voting goes, other than I heard the chairman of the Hall of Fame say today that the uh, a uh, a member of the uh, a voting member has to have covered baseball for a minimum of uh, a decade, ten years, and then there's some that are twenty and thirty years. But Don's exactly right. Even if you have a guy uh, covering it for 30 years, I mean, look at how many players, like in your era, are way past 30 years when they were playing, you know? That's the way I look at it. And when I heard that today, I'm saying, wait a minute. You know, what are you talking about here? I mean, you know, several decades. That's not long. That's not long at all. Right. And, you know, the other thing, and the ones that are maybe the last 10 years that are on, that are able to vote, the game is different now. And they're, right. they're looking back when, when guys like myself played or even before me, the game is different. So you can't judge the numbers today back when the numbers back in the day. It, it's a complete different ball game. Uh, you have pitchers, five-man rotations. Back in the day, they were four-man rotations. Pretty good, too. Uh, the ballparks were much bigger. Obviously, we've all seen the controversy of the baseballs. Baseballs are very it's, – uh, it's, it's one of those subjects that people don't want to talk about. It's been so, flexible, I mean, Larry. To put, it, to put it gently, the ball has been flexible. Right. Yeah, you're, that's, yeah. that's, a good, that's a good word right there. Uh, the strategy of the game is different. I mean, when we played, uh, certain guys in the lineup had to do certain things. You get on base, you'll be able to hit and run, lay down a bunt, be able to steal a base. Uh, those, a lot of those things are non-existent today. So I don't to, – to compare players today with back in the day is completely wrong because it's a different game, first of all. Well, now you're never going to see, in my view, you're never going to see a 200-game winner anymore because, as you just indicated, no, uh, you know – you pitch five innings, maybe six innings, and uh, you throw 100 pitches, you're out of the game. Uh, right. You're never going to see a Tom Seaver or Robin Roberts or you know, anybody that pitched 300, gets close to 300 wins. I mean, it's not going to happen. No, and again, uh, I don't know. I don't know. If I'm a pitcher and, and I have a good career ahead of me, I'm going to be a little upset at that because, hey, you know, and I don't blame the players because I think it's, it's sort of the front offices that want this kind of play. Of hey, give us five or six innings, we're going to have a strong bullpen. We're going to go to the bullpen every single night. Uh, so it's a mindset that if you do want to pitch deep in the game, you're going to fight City Hall basically because this is the way the game. You know, you have your elite pitchers that are going to go 
seven, eight, nine innings, but they're far and few between. There's no question about that. Uh, uh, and like you said, Don, I don't think anybody's going to win 200 games. I, I really don't. And I look back at Carlton and Fergie, Fergie Jenkins and Cox and Seaver and Gibson. Those guys had 150 to 170 innings at the break. <laughs> and now when you have 150 innings to 175, you're considered a workhorse mm-hmm. for the entire year. That, that's That's another part of the game that's completely changed. So, Again, don't compare back in the day to today because the game is different. Roger? Oh, there's no doubt about it. Hey, Larry, I wanted to know any chance that you're going to replace Kevin Franson? Uh, uh, You know, when Larry's not uh, doing the uh, uh, radio color and you can join the crowd and, uh, you know, join uh, uh, the, the, uh, the radio team. Yeah, that would be that would be something to be fun. But I don't. I no. I haven't been approached about that. I, I still have my job that I'm doing. Uh, you know, assistant to the GM. And uh, you know, I I don't know what's going on with that. That just happened. So um, yeah, I know Larry Anderson just does home games. So uh, and does a great job. But uh, I have no idea what's going to go on there. Larry, just a fun question because you started the TV show with Charlie this year, and it was a lot of fun to watch. For those folks around the country that uh, didn't have a chance to see it, uh, Larry, of course, uh, did a lot of the things with Charlie. But I, I just want, Larry, I just want you to, when can I sign up to learn that sculling lesson? <laughs> hey, trust me, Don. You know what? I thought that was going to be the easiest gig on there. Because, <laughs> you know, when you go, when you take the Schuylkill and you look over at the river there, you see guys rowing, you go, God, that looks really easy. And then you get out there, I want no part of that, believe me. That is really hard. And, uh, but it was it was something that it, it got my attention real quick because, again, that's something that I've never done. And I got out there and I went, oh, my God, this is really, really <laughs> You never got Charlie in the boat. Any, Don, I don't, I don't think you want any part of that, Don. I know I don't want to do that again. <laughs> Roger? Yeah. Uh, you know, I was just uh, thinking, though, it would make it easy if, if you uh, go on the road with Scott Francie. You know, he wouldn't have to – he could just Larry, Larry. You wouldn't have to worry about any, <laughs> any other name. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a good call right there. <laughs> uh, Larry Moore, our special we... guest this segment. And, uh, Larry, uh, we look at the Phillies, and uh, as you said, you think the Bratsky's going to make some moves as soon as the, uh, the lockout is over. And hopefully, I know they had some meetings yesterday and made a little bit of progress, but not enough. Uh, they got to get ready to get spring training going. I mean, uh, here we are in Sarasota. You're over in Clearwater. These communities have spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to support minor league, not minor league baseball, but spring training baseball. And they can't afford to have another year where no games are played or nobody in the stands. They've they got to have baseball, and they have to have spring training. I just uh, I think it's imperative on the game to get something accomplished. I agree, I agree with that. I mean, uh, these towns, like you mentioned, Tampa, uh, Clearwater, Sarasota, all these teams that uh, have supported uh, big league teams for spring training for so long, uh, those people are, are getting cheated out of that. and. Uh, Again, you know, we don't know what's going on behind closed doors there, and hopefully 
both sides uh, will sit down and iron something out because this is a great sport. And uh, but I agree with you. Uh, these 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 Florida towns in particular, and they live and die for spring training, and they get great turnouts. Uh, well, look at what the Braves did. The Braves just moved from you know over there in Orlando and came down. I just spent millions and millions and millions of dollars to build the ballparks and the complex and everything else two years ago, and they must be sweating bullets over there. Yep. I mean, again, it's 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 not good right now, and and hopefully. Uh, everybody's just posturing and, and getting their ducks in a row, and hopefully that and maybe in another week to ten days, we're going to see some big time improvement in this. But uh, I just keep my fingers crossed, you know, because uh, you know, hopefully they keep all the rhetoric out of the papers and that, and just resolve this thing behind closed doors. And, and hopefully, when April comes, we'll have baseball. But I do think we need spring training more than anything. Um, and hopefully we get the full amount of spring training. Roger? Well, there's no doubt about it, Larry. And, you know, Merle Reese was on, and he was talking about, uh, you know, with the Eagles that Jason or Jalen Hurts didn't have much uh, time on the field during uh, preseason. Ten and snaps. I agree with them. And snaps. And, and snaps, yeah. You've got to have right. uh, practice, and you have to be out on the field. And uh, and I, I, I think about, you know, when I've been down in Clearwater, we go to Lenny's for breakfast every day. And, I mean, you know, there's a business, an, an individual, you know, person's business that also uh, needs to uh, have spring training to probably make their nut for the year, you know, based on right. the traffic they get. Right. I, I mean, a, a, lot of, a lot of these uh, small businesses, small restaurants, they rely on spring training, and as you said, that makes their year really because you know in the yeah. summertime it's really hot down here, and a lot of people leave and go north. But you're right, and uh, and I think the year that we had uh, the half of season, a lot of the minor league guys never got a chance to play that whole year, so they mm-hmm. literally missed the whole year. Right, and uh, I, I do know that at least as of late that the minor league. No matter what happens with the big league uh, uh, contract with the with the owners, that minor league baseball will start and, and everything will be the same, which is good. That part of it's good because our young kids they need to play. You, you can't miss a whole year, uh, you know, when you're a, a prospect or a high pick or even a regular player. That's hard to to miss a whole year. You get a year older and and uh, you know the experience you gain when you play every day. Is something that you can't make up. So hopefully, hopefully that that won't happen. Larry, over the last couple of years with the Phillies, uh, we've talked and talked and talked about the bullpen, uh, the problems. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm, let me say, I'm a Joe Girardi fan. Uh, I think Joe Girardi is right. one of the five best managers in baseball, and they can ask right. him all the questions in the world about why he takes this pitcher out, why he That's their prerogative. Ask whatever they want to ask, but the whole. In the club over the last three years, the bullpen, one of the worst in baseball. Center field has been a, a major problem. Shortstop has been a problem. Uh, third base has been a problem. Uh, right. Are there enough players in the minor? You, you work closely with the minor leagues and scouting and going around. You know, do they have hopes of people coming up through the organization, or are they going to have to make Dombrowski going to have to make strong moves? to get these positions filled. 
No, I think we have some players in the minor leagues. I mean, do we have superstars down there? Not right now. But I think there's some kids down there that, that are going to be big league players. Uh, you know, the, Don, you, you, you go back a long time. You know, w- when you get down to it, when it comes down to baseball, if you have good pitching and catch the ball, you're going to be in every game, you know. Right. And I think one thing, in the last couple of years, this is just my own observation, we have arms down the bullpen. They've just been very inconsistent. I mean, one game you might say, hey, oh, that bullpen pitch lights out. Then the next day you come out and we give up three, four runs. Then we'll go two games where we don't give up anything. It's the consistency. I don't think it's the ability. It's the consistency that has been lacking. And as you well know, you're rolling the dice when you sign relief pitchers. I've seen relief pitchers come off terrible years and have great years. And I've seen relief pitchers have great years and the next year – they can't get anybody out. So it's always been a roll of the dice with relief pitching. But I think the one thing you want more than anything is consistency out of your bullpen. If right. you can get consistency out of your bullpen, then I think you have a chance. You know, the worst thing that happened, Don, as you well know, is when you walk off that field in the ninth inning and you had a lead and you walk off with a loss, that's demoralizing. No matter what people yeah. say, on the page, it's over with. That sticks with you. And when it happens a few times in a row, it, it hurts your ball club. And we've been inconsistent. I think we have arms down there. In fact, I know we do. But we have to get more consistency. And avoid Roger, the injuries, Larry. Avoid the injuries. Yeah, in injury, you know what? Injuries are going to be part of the game no matter what. Uh, uh, I, I've never seen so many injuries in my life for the last couple of years. But that's just uh, that's a different – that's different now. I mean, you got guys now that uh, – they get out of the ball game and uh, they take three days off. And again, I, I get it. You don't want guys to go out there hurt because you got a lot of money invested in them. You don't want pitchers to blow out their arms because you have a lot of money invested in them. But I think the reason that when we played back in the day, we played every day because, to be honest, I didn't want anybody coming up and taking my job. I didn't want to get out right. of line. <laughs> and I think that now that that mentality of this. Is uh, is basically by the wayside. Uh, well, you know, I, I don't know. You know the training philosophy much better than I do, but I don't understand all these groin injuries, hamstrings. I mean, they, they play two weeks and then they get a hamstring pull. I mean, I don't know if it's you know lack of running, lack of preparation. Uh, I don't know. But you, to me, you just can't play ten games and all of a sudden you got a hamstring pull. You can't get in, can't play again for a week and a half or two. I know. I, Don, I, hey, <laughs> you're speaking to the choir here. I, I, I don't understand it. Uh, well, what did you do you know, differently than nobody? I mean, I, all those well, years, the great years of the Phillies, they, they, nobody got hurt. Everybody played. No, we, we, we did a lot of running and a lot of stretching and throwing a lot of long toss. And now it, it is now in a situation now where they have all these sophisticated things to get loose and weights and uh, there's no question players are bigger, faster, and stronger. I agree with that 100%. But I've never seen so many injuries in my life, and I don't know how you would – I don't know how you stop that, to be honest with you. Uh, I, I do think that there's some guys that probably could play when they have like a, a sore muscle or a tired muscle, and I think people just uh, – you know, they don't want to risk it and have the guy miss three or four weeks. So – they shut them down for three or four days. And it's not just 
the Phillies. It's all over baseball. They, they, they're very cautious when it comes to injuries. And I get it, like, you know, the way the, the, the money out there. But uh, I don't know. I, like I said, uh, we've talked about Charlie and I have talked about that a lot, about the injuries. There's a lot of them. A lot of them. Lot of them. Roger? Yeah, Larry, a uh, couple things. <clears throat> Just about the like what Don, what you were talking about on uh, groin. It happened to me uh, over Christmas week, and I don't remember ever having one, and I had to have an MRI. But, I mean, th- in three days, I was uh, coming back with because of putting cold on it and then hot. And, uh, and it, as it turns out, on the MRI, I had a tear. And I don't know how right. it happened, but I'm 78 years old. I'm not 25 years old or 30 years right. old. But, but the other thing, what about the kid that I just saw that um, the uh, sh- kid that's the shortstop and, uh, you, you know, the prospect you mentioned. And I just saw that he went up in uh, as far with Baseball Digest or one of the publications about uh, they moved him up as uh, in the numbers of top uh, prospects in baseball. You're, you're talking about uh, Bryson Scott. Yeah. Yeah, Scott. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I, I like Bryson. I think he's going to be a big league player. Uh, I do think that he probably would, you know, again, I don't know the roster, what it's going to be like, but if it was me, I, I'd have him probably start at, uh, at AAA and see how DD does. You know, DD's this is his, uh, this is his contract year. And you, usually when guys play at the end of their year, or end of their contract, you see a little bit, <laughs> I don't know why, but, they, they turn it up a notch. So, and I'm hoping Didi does that because I don't think we saw the real Didi last year. I, I think Didi is a much better player than he showed last year. And he'll be the first to tell you he didn't think he had a good year. But this kid's going to be a good player. He's a real good hitter. He's got good instincts. Uh, he understands the game. Uh, he doesn't make too many mental mistakes. I like him a lot. And he went right through our system last year. He went to A, double A, AA, and triple A. And I really believe this kid's going to be a, a good player at the big league level. I just hope we don't rush him right away. Um, you know, the worst thing that happens is bring a guy up and he's not ready. I'm not saying he's not ready, but you know, I, I would personally, if it was me, I would start him out at AAA. Larry, let's go back there. You just mentioned that, and I, I, I think that's one of the key points of baseball right now. As you said, he went from A to AA to AAA, and now hopefully to make the move to the parent club, but you don't have a double-A anymore. I mean, there's just not enough minor league teams. they got to go out playing some kind of independent baseball in order to hope they can get back into baseball again on a on a major league level. Yeah, I, you know, I, I don't understand that. You know, I, I played, uh, before I got to the big leagues, I, played, I went right through the system, but I played a full year in A, a full year in double-A, a full year in triple-A, and I got right. close to 500 at at each classification. I think what happens in baseball in general, especially pitching, if you have a pitcher that's going right through the organization, double-A, triple-A, you know as well as I do, they're getting them to the big leagues because they don't want to waste those pitches in the minor leagues. Uh, and to me, you gain a lot of experience by staying in one place a whole year. Uh, but I agree with you. that The teams are dwindling, and uh, I would like to see – you know, more teams uh, as far as the minor leagues are concerned. But uh, I, I don't know what's going on with the minor league systems. I know we got – I like our setup the way we have it. You know, everything's close to Philly with the exception of Clearwater. But 
which had a two and a half hour flight. Other than that, all our all our teams are relatively close to Philly, so we get to keep a good eye on them. And uh, but you know, you're right, guys. Guys that uh, they need opportunities to play, and the only way they're going to do that is having being played on more minor league baseball teams. And you know, if you have a, a, a real good shortstop that's playing double A, and you have a real good shortstop that could play double A, he's probably going to have one of those guys going to have to go back down to A ball again. So that's where yeah. we're getting hung up. And, and the thing about this is, Don, is the mentality now of putting a big league team together is they like guys to play multiple positions. And uh, so you start getting a guy that's a real good shortstop. You say, okay, now move over to second. Now move over to third. And I think it's very difficult for kids to keep switching positions like that. If you're real good at short or second or catcher or center field, stay there. Because the old saying is you got to be strong up the middle. If, if we got good shortstops or second basemen, leave them there. But, you know, they like the versatility, be able to move around guys and play them in different positions. But I think it's very difficult for a player to do that, man, especially – especially a young player. Larry Bull, yeah. a very informative segment of the show, and I, I want to thank you very, very much. We haven't had a chance to chat for a while, but I really appreciate you coming on as we get closer to the season, and hopefully, I say that hopefully, we're going to get to see everybody during spring training down here. But thank you so much for joining. It's always a pleasure. All right, guys. Larry, always Bye. great to talk to you. We really appreciate Thanks, it so Larry. much. All right, guys, I'm going to keep my fingers crossed, and hopefully we get this thing underway real soon. I'm with you. Let's see. Let's Amen. get it going. A lot of people uh, down here in Florida need it. <laughs> I, know. I know. All right, Mike Simzak standing by right now. He's our re- uh, correspondent from the Washington, D.C. area. Uh, the uh, Washington Capitals lost last night, won nothing, I think. Uh, I guess uh, – the hockey, the National Hockey League leading scorer could put one in the net. What happened last night, Mike? Uh, the Caps have been scuffling a little bit. Uh, they're three, five, and two in their last ten, and they're starting to uh, drop off the pace a little bit in the Eastern Conference. They've fallen all the way down to fourth, and they're now uh, a full three points behind the Hurricanes. And uh, you know, just inconsistency. Again, rearing its ugly head, uh, some, uh, when they do get decent goaltending, which hasn't always been the norm, you have games last night where they can't score. And right now, uh, I think they, they're, um, they're, they lost 2 nothing last night, I believe, was the game. I'll tell you, it's uh, oh, unusual no, when they have they that kind of firepower to get shut out. Right now. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Yeah, right now they're trailing the, uh, the Sharks 2 nothing. Uh, so just the, you know, the, the, a little bit of uh, the doldrums for the Caps right now. Roger, nothing like the Flyers, Mike. Nothing They're like in the, the cellar. Flyers. Well, the, the Flyers are in the yeah. cellar. Well, the, uh, <laughs> when, the Flyers the I don't believe have won in straight. Yeah, I think I saw someplace that the Flyers haven't won since December twenty second. Yeah, and then they had a ten game losing streak earlier in the season. So yeah, I mean, well, we know the Flyers. They get they 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 got rid of the head coach. Um, it, it's just uh, it it just really hasn't come together for me in either of the last two seasons. No. I know the Caps were were disappointed 
uh, that the playoffs ended the way that they did last year. Uh, they were hoping that they could could put together another winning run this year. But again, it, you know, injuries, the goalkeeping, uh, it's just not working out for them. So I know I used to tell Tommy all the time that you don't really pay attention to NHL hockey until after Valentine's Day, but we're we're getting close. We're only two weeks away, and if you're in the midst of a streak where you, you haven't really been picking up points, I think that you know what are they? They've gotten eight points in the last uh, ten games. That's just not good enough. Roger, it's amazing because uh, Tom Lemay, who covers the Flyers for us on a regular basis, and of course you've been a great Flyers fan for years. Uh, you look at this franchise, and two years ago, they were talking about the depth, they were talking about the potential, and they were talking yeah. about maybe the second best goaltender in the National Hockey League. And right now, they can't find anything. No, no, they can't. There's just no life in the team. And, uh, I mean, it's really sad. And, you know, when you think about it, uh, thank God Ed Snyder isn't alive to go through. But, of course, they may not be going through this if Ed Snyder was alive, you know. Right. And, uh it's just it's a uh, it's a sad state of affairs uh, down on South Broad Street, no doubt about it. And Mike, uh, what uh, with the NFL season in in the uh, rearview mirror now? Uh, any further word on uh, the uh, Washington Football Team's announcement? Well, we know that it's coming up um, next week. Uh, I believe next Wednesday uh, is the official unveiling up new nicknames so we're you know by hopefully by this time next week i will have further word on where they where they're going with that uh there hasn't been much coming out of the team there's you know the big deal today was they were celebrating the 30th anniversary of that 1992 team that won the the 91-92 super bowl so that's been the big goings on around Mm. And we know that was the last one that they won. And you look at just the transformation from that team when Joe Gibbs had it in the 80s and 90s, uh, four Super Bowls in what was uh, about 10 years, four Super Bowls, three wins, capped off by that 92 team that was uh, – a lot of people put it in the, the top 10 teams all time. I didn't realize just how good that team was um, – Mark Rippon got sacked in not seven times the entire 1991-92 uh, season. Joe Burrow wow. got sacked nine times last week. Yeah, one game, yeah. You know, I, I, I mentioned to Larry Boa about uh, Kevin France, uh, Franson uh, has left the uh, Phillies uh, radio broadcast team and is now going to be the, uh, on the Nationals TV team. And I guess uh, the Nationals are on, what, N- uh, NBC Sports uh, Washington, right? Uh, I believe the massing contract is over, and now they're on NBC Sports Washington. They've been on um, massing for a long time, and that was a bone of contention because uh, they were just not getting their fair share of that television gear. I believe they only got about like 10% of the revenue that they should have been getting as a part of that rights deal that was negotiated with uh, Peter Angelos 
Fiona or the Orioles for impeding on his media area when they the mm-hmm. originated the team. So they really got jobbed. Uh, it's going to be a big deal when they finally do get their to the rights to negotiate their own uh, revenue. Now, it's interesting that Kevin's coming down here because I believe prior to last year, they got rid of their entire TV crew. Uh, crew, uh, lo- a lot of long-time guys that they put out. So they had one crew this year, and I guess they're making now they're making some new adjustments to bring in some new folks to because that broadcast partnership that they had last year uh, just wasn't working that good. Mm-hmm. Mike, is there some uh, enthusiasm surrounding the Washington franchise right now? Uh, uh, last year, uh, you know, they struggled a little bit going through the season. Everybody thought they were going to be a contender, and then they weren't a contender. Uh, what's it look like on a baseball front? It looks like a lot like it looks a lot like rebuilding. Um, we haven't heard of, uh, and we can't hear of any new signings. So, kind of, with because of the lockout, everything's kind of in a holding pattern, which is fine. We're in February. You know, you got uh, the new name for the Washington Football Team coming. You've got the Wizards, and you've got the Caps, even though neither one of them are doing really great right now. Nobody's really thinking about as much about the Nationals. Uh, the biggest th- development this offseason was going to be, and still maybe, uh, the re- potential re-signing of Juan Soto and the deal that they may get if they're able to re-sign him to a big mega deal and buy out some of his, uh, his arbitration years. Uh, I don't think that we're going to hear a lot of movement from the Washington Nationals until they settle that uh, that issue one way or the other. If they're going to pay him, then what are they paying him per season? And that's going to set, you know, let them know how much money they have in the budget moving forward. If they're going to trade him uh, because they can't resign him, or they're going to just they can't get his arbitration years done, or, and they're they're going to have to move on from him because he just doesn't want to be here anymore. You know that could be potentially one of the biggest trades that we've ever seen in that major league history. Roger, uh, Doug Hamilton standing by, so we'll let you ask the last question of this segment. Well, we got, can't uh, let you go without uh, getting uh, your uh, ex- expertise on uh, the world of soccer and. Uh, the uh, MLS, uh, what getting underway with uh, training camps in the, the next week, I guess, right, Mike? They'll be down in Florida, yeah, the, well, the uh, next, I know the union. Yeah. The next couple of weeks are going to be uh, training camp. Right now we're heading into a very, very inter- important international window, a very rare January international window where the U.S. men's national team will be playing three World Cup qualifiers. and It's really a major window for them. Uh, if they can get the maximum nine points out of this, that will almost entirely guarantee the qualification for the World Cup uh, in uh, next November. Uh, they've got a game against uh, El Salvador coming up tomorrow. Then they go into uh, Ontario, Canada, and play Canada, who are actually leading the region at home before coming back to Minnesota, where they're going to play an open-air game in early February in Minnesota against Panama. So uh, some real, it really uh, that's the big news. The uh, Philadelphia Union this week 
traded away Casper uh, Shabilko, who has been their leading scorer for the last two years. So, again, they got a whole lot of money, but they, they now have another hole that they need to fill, and especially big one because part of the struggles for the union over the course of the last couple of years have been putting the ball in the net, finding a consistent striker. And you, they must have some designs, I, at least I hope they do, on upgrading that position because their uh, their attack looks very, 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 very thin right now, uh, heading into a season with a lot of expectations. Mike, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. And uh, next week we'll, uh, by this time next week, we'll know the official name of the Washington Football Club, right? Yes. And um, say hi to Doug. We had a uh, fantastic dinner together on Saturday with the wives. It was a really great time. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, Absolutely, that's yeah. Oh, we got to hear about that. Right. Well, that's, you know, uh, the, the amount of knowledge and uh, expertise in the stories that there's not enough alcohol on this planet for us to share all <laughs> that information in just one setting. I mean, uh, you know, both both Mike and his wife were delightful. Um, I, I certainly hope they felt the same, you know, about us. The food was excellent, and uh, uh, it was a wonderful it's, – it's really, really nice just to put – you know, a name with a face, with a voice. Um, you know, so Don, you're you're, you're the last one uh, on my list I need to meet here. So um, I'm starting to get a little bit concerned that you know you don't really like me, but that, that's it's okay. Um, you know. <laughs> well, I I look forward to it because I know the one thing you're going to do is take us to some of the nicest restaurants in the Baltimore Washington area, and, and when you walk in, everything is carte blanche. Well, I tell you, you know, but I, I thought Mike and and, uh, and Sonia were, were part owners of the, the place we went because it's like he kind of just raises his hand and some, some little elf flies out of a of a plant uh, potting or something and just says, "Here's your Where drink, was sir." That? Uh, What's the name of the place? It was uh, Il Porto. Um, it was a wonderful. I I went for the lasagna. Um, I'm, I just can't turn down a good piece of lasagna. Um, you know, they have some wonderful. Uh, seafood dishes and some different things uh, Italian and it's it was really really good. the food's good I've been there once I think once before but um, the, the the company was just outstanding um, you know Mike your wife is is delightful and, and gosh you know she she commands you know the, the the listening to in terms of her stories and how she tells them and um, it was it was great we had a blast well Mike thank you very much again for your segment on the show Have a this great night week, Mike and we'll catch up with you next week and get you back to Doug Hamilton in the Baltimore area, as we said. Uh, Mr. Harbaugh's in the uh, his, uh, contract extension. He's got one year to go, but there's heavy negotiations right now. What can you tell yep. us about that? Well, my belief is, you know, the, uh, the powers to be at the castle are uh, at some level of unrest. Um, you know, we haven't heard from... Steve Bashotti for several years now um, in terms of the state of the team. Typically they would wrap their season up with, um, you know, him and, and the brass, you know, talking about the direction of the team and the season and all those sorts of things. Um, if you look at, you know, Eric DaCosta's, what, three drafts I think he's been a part of, there's not really a lot left to show for it in terms of, you know, p- people that, uh, you know, were injured or, or traded or cut or any of those, you know, I don't believe that he's, um, held his line in terms of, of Ozzy and how he drafted. Um, you know, I know Harbaugh has one year left and they're talking about an extension, but 
you know, we've lost our defensive coordinator, uh, Wink Martindale, and some rumors um, hanging about that uh, they're going to promote from within. Anthony Weaver um, um, is somebody that they're talking about. I know that the, the defensive coordinator at the University of Michigan um, had spent, I think, seven years with um, with the Ravens on the staff, and I think they're trying to woo him back uh, to be their defensive coordinator. They have a couple other interviews lined up, but I think there's – there's a there's a high level of unrest, I believe. Um, you know, the the Ravens' defense is what I would call a total rebuild at this point, um, with you know some people retiring, um, you know, multiple injuries. Um, in my opinion, not a whole lot of blue chippers to um, build build around. I think they're they're hard pressed. I mean, they're really going to have to hit on some draft picks and be wise with. Um, you know how, how they restructure some contracts uh, existing or. Um, at extensions, you know, um, you know, Lamar Jackson is is a huge question mark. Um, there, there's a lot going on there. I mean, you've got multiple people coming back from injuries. Um, will Calais Campbell retire? Um, you know, they they just have a lot of question marks. So, Doug, the one thing was stability with Baltimore was that the general manager was in position for such a long time, and then the transition to the new general manager a couple of years ago. And uh, he pretty much worked from inside the organization, tried to elevate people, tried to draft people that he thought would be the right people for Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they go about this, whether they do, in fact, sign Harbaugh to an extension. And as you mm-hmm. just indicated, what kind of personnel do they need to make a rebound for next year? Yeah, I, I think it's a tremendous question, Mark. I think the deal gets done you know, with Harbaugh probably, you know, if not sooner than later, probably no later than the draft. Um, you know, I think the Ravens are in an interesting quandary with, you know, their philosophy has always been take the best player available regardless of need. Um, I find that to be a difficult proposition this year because I feel like they have so many needs um, that they're going to have to fill them. Um, you know, they're going to have to be creative with, what position are they into the draft? What number? Fourteen. Fourteen. Okay. I mean, they, you know, they go uh, right before the 14, Eagles. The Eagles are fifteen. And sixteen, I think. The Eagles have two back-to-backers, yeah. and I think I think the Eagles are fifteen. The yeah, Eagles have three in the first round. Yeah, I mean, you know, they're they're in a great position to. I mean, there's there's a lot of depth in this draft. I've been kind of doing my homework to uh, you know study some of these players and and some different positions. I mean. You know, the Ravens at 14 can do a multitude of things um, in terms of it. I wouldn't even be surprised to see the Ravens go from 14 and draft back into probably the mid-20s and acquire even more picks. Um, I'm telling you, they have so many needs that they have to fill on, you know, defensive line. Uh, they need at least probably two defensive linemen. They're going to have to get at least one corner. Um, they're going to need a linebacker that, that can stand next to Patrick Queen and, and actually cover tight ends. I think they need a tight end. Um, I don't know what their running back situation is in terms of how they feel you know, with those guys coming off of injuries. Uh, their offensive line needs at least a tackle, if not two. We don't know the status of Ronnie Stanley and, and how he's, he's played you know, two games in the last two years. Um, you know, so there's, 
there's just there's a lot, you know. So I'm not sure how they're going to address all this. Roger, you're up, and uh, when you say you're up, I mean all they have to do is draft all the players that play for Georgia and Alabama, right. and they're ready to go. Can't go wrong. You can't go wrong well, there, Dave. Yeah, I'll tell you. As the uh, I told you, I remember when uh, Glenn Mack now was talking about the uh, dogs, and he said uh, if they came out of a locker room, it would say. I'll take you, and then the next guy, I'll take you, and the next guy, he just was was loading up with dogs. So I know your wife's right. happy about that, and I know uh, yes. we were talking earlier about uh, uh, just, uh, uh, Davis, you know, the big uh, defensive lineman, yes. Jordan Davis, and uh, I, I think he may even go in the first five. What do you think, Doug? Yeah, there's there's certainly rumors, I mean, you know, again, I, I think one of the biggest question marks about this draft will be, you know, in years past you've had a marquee name or two of quarterbacks that, that sit at the top of, you know, last year was Trevor Lawrence. Um, you know, obviously you can, you can chronicle that over, over time. But, I mean, the, the quarterbacks um, will be an interesting watch between now and, um, you know, February when they have all their workouts and, and, and college bowl games and those sorts of things, the East-West, the Senior Bowl, all those things. Um you know, there are some quarterback needy teams. Uh, I think Washington is obviously one of them. I think that Pittsburgh is one of them. I think Atlanta could be one of them. Carolina could be one of them. But are they willing to take, you know, a quarterback in the first round that isn't quite as heralded as, as you know, years past where you had those marquee names? Um, and I think that's going to be one of the bigger scenarios of the first round is, you know, will teams be willing to select their quarterback? Um, you know, there's a guy from Sam Howell from uh, – um, Carolina, you got the guy from Pittsburgh, you have, um, there's a guy from Ole Miss, um, uh, what's his name, Ritter from Cincinnati. I mean, there's several guys that kind of fit the bill, but are they really first-round quarterbacks? And I think that, you know, teams are going to have to further evaluate that okay. as they go through the combine to see. What's the feeling right so, now with Jackson? I, I know you, you were very high on him. You were very happy mm-hmm. when they took him in that first round at the end. Yeah. And uh, yeah. he certainly had, did some great things. Uh, sure. But he also had a couple of injuries which hurt him. And uh, what do you yeah. think when when the renegotiation you know, comes about? What do you think they're going to do? They're they're in a tight spot there. I mean, they could let him play it out for twenty three million dollars, and then you know, kind of see what happens. They can always franchise him next year, and you know. But you know, at the end of the day, if he's going to be a part of their future and they extend right. him to get that cap number lower, you're talking, you know two, three, four years from now, he's going to have a number in the 40s, you know, $40 million. That's going to be very intrusive to the Ravens, you know, overall payroll. Um, you know, plus you run the risk of a guy who likes to run the football of getting hurt, and now you have all that guaranteed money, you know. Um, somebody's, somebody's pay grade higher than mine is going to have to figure that one out. I mean, I, I think you kind of have to sign the guy, but, you know, it, it's that's a tough call. Well, you just don't have enough money left. But of course, the cap's getting up a little bit. But you know, well, you find was... one guy for forty million, you don't have a lot of money right. left to give everybody else a buddy. Roger, you're up. Well, that's exactly right. And uh, you know, there's like uh, several quarterbacks that uh, are going to the uh, teams are going to face that within the next couple of years. I mean, mm-hmm. and two of them well, were in that. Well. They, well, one of them in yeah. particular was in that uh, great game on uh, Sunday night. They, mm-hmm. You know, Josh Allen. Yeah. 
that that's the key is, you know, you, you had Lamar for, you know, what, four years at basically nothing, and you, right. you tried to stack the deck. You had you tried to stack the deck with, with veterans and paying them more money on shorter-term deals, and now you're in a spot where you, you're going to have to purge some of your salary to have enough money to even consider the concept of moving forward with an extension. And the real key is going to be how you hit on your draft picks. I mean, the Ravens are going to have – eight, I think eight picks in the first four rounds, you're, you're going to have to, you know, get these guys in there cheaper. They can contribute, you know, right away. Um, they're not going to have a whole lot of money to spend. They never really do splash in, in, the, in the free agent market. They, they try to get some of those, you know, um, kind of tier two people that can, that can play, you know, um, you know, slot corners and situational pass rushers and one-year deals and prove-it deals and those sorts of things. That's the only way they're going to be able to piece this all together. Um, you know, they're going to have to save every nickel they can in an effort to, you know, get this done. I mean, you look at Josh Allen, you look at Patrick Mahomes, you have a similar situation with those guys, you know, having really big cap numbers, and they find a way to get it done because those, those teams were in, you know, in, you know, ran late into the playoffs here. So um, it can be done. Well, you look at the importance of a quarterback. All you have to do is look at that kid that said he came on Sunday. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Everybody yeah. talks about quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. But hey, the game doesn't run without having a good quarterback. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, look at Green Bay scenario. Green Bay has a lot of issues, you know, with with their upcoming scenario with you know, Aaron Rodgers counting forty something million against the cap at thirty eight years old. Um, Devontae Adams is a free agent. What are they going to do with him? Um, you know, so there's. I mean, every team faces it. You just got to figure out how to piece it together. Well, my feeling is, and maybe Roger, you feel differently, but I think Rogers is going to come back. I think he's going to come back to Green Bay because mm-hmm. it's one of the teams that still has a legitimate shot to get into the playoffs at the top of the heap. And I think he wants one last shot to at least get to a second Super Bowl. Yeah, he didn't make it this year, but I think yeah. that's going to be very, very important to him. I think he's going to come back. I think he's going to sign with Green Bay. And, uh, what do you guys think? Well, I, I heard uh, the other yesterday on, uh, on NFL radio uh, that uh, uh, the consensus was that, that he will come back, but Adams has to come too, okay, mm-hmm. because he needs him. And uh, I think exactly what you were saying, Don, that's what they said, that they feel that he will feel that he owes – Green Bay, uh, not only the team, but, but the community, uh, mm-hmm. more than just the one uh, Super Bowl championship. And, uh, you know, I, I, we'll see what happens. But that was what the, the folks on NFL radio say. Well, I think if you look mm-hmm. up and down the line, and Doug, maybe you have a different view, but if you look up and down the line, there are only so many teams you can look at the top and say, they have a chance to get deep into the playoffs. They have a chance to go to a Super Bowl. Green Bay, <laughs> excuse me, Green Bay is one of those yeah. teams. Just like Brady well, did when he went to Tampa Bay. He wanted to go to another Super Bowl. He came to a mm-hmm. team that he had a chance to get there. I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers is going to do the same thing. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, you know, I mean, every year provides new hope for, for somebody. I mean, you have, you know, a situation in New Orleans where, Sam, you know, uh, uh, Sean Payton is stepping away, and I know that you know the Saints have pretty good defense. Um, they have some question marks on the other side of the football, but they also have a ton of money to spend. 
you know, you look at the, the Cincinnati Bengals, they're, they're in a similar, similar situation with a ton of money to spend and, you know, all their draft picks, you know. So yeah, but they, they got their quarterback for the next 10 years. Well, that's the thing. Um, you know, he's still playing under his rookie deal, so, you know, there's, there's money to be spent in other places, and that's the concept that we're talking about is, you know, once a quarterback gets out of that and you start having to actually pay him what that market says that he's worth, you know, it, it becomes harder to fashion a team around him, you know, with right. applicable talent, you know, and that's, that's the, you know, look at um, uh, Jared Goff. You know, do you think the Detroit Lions want his services for 30-some million dollars a year? <laughs> you know? Um, yep. I mean, that that's a hard pill to swallow for, for average production, I think, you know? I mean, you know, Matt Ryan, look at him. I mean, Not he, even, he, not he, even he, average. You're, you're being gentle. <laughs> not even well, average. I mean, you know. He's not as, yeah. as bad as, you know, but at the end of the day, I mean, you know, the same thing happened in Baltimore before Lamar Jackson was drafted with Joe Flacco. You know, they paid him all that money, and, you know, you're stuck. You're pot committed at that point. So, you know, you have to be 100% certain that this is the right direction for your, your football team well, to move in, you know. Well, I'll tell you, look look at the uh, – <laughs> talking about golf, he was the first uh, pick. Carson Wentz was the second pick. And Carson mm-hmm. Wentz, now they said, well, you know, at the time I heard the general manager said we, we were uh, committed to, to uh, him and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, hopefully they're going to turn around. But he was absolutely a dud in that playoff right. game and, and yep. was really the reason that they lost the game, okay? But, uh, and, and they, I think that McVeigh realized that, hey, he cut golf, even though it was his pick, uh, and mm-hmm. and went with Matthew Stafford. If you're going to uh, pay the big price, well, then you yep. know, like, let's go because you know they have the team to win the Super Bowl. I think the Rams, I, I really yeah. do. And uh, but it's a matter of all coming together at the same time. We've seen it over and well, over again. And and the Rams window is very small because they traded yes. away a number of their picks in that right. right this run, um, right. You know, so you know, we'll see how that that turns out for them. But well, I think um, they they gambled with Stafford right off the bat. I mean, he he wanted a team that uh, a quarterback that was proven, uh, even mm-hmm. though he you know he had a lot of uh, difficulty in in, uh, in Detroit and other places. But uh, he he's a known quantity, and I think he won him, mm-hmm. and it worked out perfectly. He got him to the yeah. right now. He got him to the championship game. He can't ask for more than that. Right. You know what that situation is, fellas, the, with the Rams? Reminds me of the typical George Allen uh, coach Rams and also Red, Redskins. Okay? Mm-hmm. Remember the way he would trade away those draft picks to get the veterans? And and they won. I mean, you know, not mm-hmm. always, but, but they won. They and were competitive every year, certainly. All the time. All the time. And – it was funny. I was just uh, talking to a friend of mine that I served in the reserves with, and we were down in D.C. doing our two weeks. And I said, it just occurred to me the other night, they uh, were uh, watching on TV. Uh, I mean, we, we we were watching TV, and they had the bulletin over the uh, Washington stations, George Allen is just fired. And, uh, you know, I was there for that, and then I was there and you probably remember, well, I don't know, Doug, I don't know if you remember this. Yeah. Remember the old uh, Baltimore News American? And uh, no. when the Colts, well, the, the Colts moved out of uh, 
uh, out of Baltimore, you know, under the cover of darkness. And I was at Fort Meade mm-hmm. doing two weeks. And the News American, uh, the it was a tabloid paper. Don, you probably have seen it in your travels with the teams. Right. They had a picture of Ursay with a target. That was the mm-hmm. front page of the News American. Yeah. It was unbelievable. Well, what he did, I mean, snuck out of town in the middle of the night, I mean, it was terrible. And we talked last week and the week before about what's happened in St. Louis now, that they lost the Rams, and, you know, they were competitive in St. Louis. They're obviously much more competitive right now, two years later. But the poor people in St. Louis haven't gotten their money back yet. Uh, I mean, it's really uh, very, very uh, shaky in my mind that, you know, you know when they're going to take a team out of here. So you support the team, support the team, and next thing you know, they're gone. Well, Kroenke, when I saw him on TV uh, over the weekend, and I'm thinking exactly what you're saying about the St. Louis, where they made the proposal and the investment uh, to, uh, you know, improve the dome, and and he took them out because he owned that property out there by what, the old Hollywood Park in Inglewood and built this palace, and then he got the Chargers there as a, a tenant, too, a tenant. And I'm just wondering if uh, if the Jaguars, if they are going to stay in, in Jacksonville uh, long term, that's fine. But if they were to decide to move, I wonder if the league would want them back in St. Louis, a team back in St. Louis. Mm-hmm. Well, they've they've done that. They did it in Cleveland. When you know, when Cleveland left, they put another team. I mean, uh, when Baltimore left, they finally put another team back in Baltimore. Uh, they do right. sometimes try to you know recoup uh, what they've lost. And St. Louis well, was certainly a a very solid club and a very solid franchise. And they just shut them out of town and left. Yeah, and and Kroenke, uh, you know, I I've said this before. He, uh, Kroenke, said, oh, don't worry about it to the other owners. I'll take care of all the legal fees and all the expenses. Now he's uh, going to the other owners, and he wants mo- He needs money, okay, because it hasn't worked out. Uh, or, you know, he's pleading, I guess, with the owners mm-hmm. is a better term. But that's ridiculous. I mean, that's a whole thing. It's, we've talked about it's all a matter of dollars. Mm-hmm. Follow the money. Go ahead, well, Doug. I'm sorry. Yeah, no. Um, just, uh, I know you guys kind of asked um, you know, about the the Nats and those sorts of things. So I mean, it's you know we're, we're going to endure another season here of of some Baltimore Orioles baseball and, and see which prospects can you know climb to the top of that ladder. And um, you know they've signed a whole bunch of international people, and the draft will be forthcoming. So we'll. We'll see. I mean, they keep stocking the, the cupboards here, but we need to see some on-field production. Any enthusiasm for the Orioles after a 100-loss season last year? And no, they're I mean, one of the ones, the uh, negotiations and lockouts, uh, they're one of the teams, Tampa Bay and Baltimore, the two leading mm-hmm. teams that take all the money and don't put up a product on the field. But now, not necessarily yeah. in Tampa. Tampa gets the money because their payroll is only, what, $87 million. But Baltimore mm-hmm. takes all the money every year, but they don't put it into bringing players in. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, I think we're still wrapping up the Ravens season, and um, there's not a whole lot of optimism, obviously, here in Baltimore. Not even a lot of discussion. I mean, 
spring training brings eternal hope for everybody, but, you know, I think some people want to get their eyes on Adley Rushman and some of these guys, uh, you know, to see what the future holds, but it's certainly not now. Roger? Well, yeah, it, you know, I would like to see the Orioles come back. Uh, I really would because <laughs> yeah. I, I used to go, well, well I'd be, you know, years ago I'd be drawn. I'd be at uh, the old uh, Memorial Stadium all the time. And I, I just uh, – and also, uh, I, Don, hey, listen, we, Don we got I, I got to interrupt. we got to go. Frank just said time is up. Okay. Mm-hmm. Doug, thank you TikTok. once again. Roger, great. Talk to you guys next week. Have Frank, a great nice week. job behind the control. God bless. Bye. Take care. Take care. <clears throat> we want to thank our sponsor, BioSolar. If you're really tired of paying for high energy bills with your electric company, you can install solar panels on your roof and save up to 50% of your, on your electric bill for the next 25 years. If you're interested in getting a positive return, give Patrick a call at 727-314-6976. That's BioSolar, B-Y-O-S-O-L-A-R. Great product, great people. Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week in grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, men and women of police and fire services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please take a moment to say thank you or shake their hand. These are very tough times for men and women in uniform, everybody, the good ones, and yeah, there are some bad ones, but we need your help. These programs are dedicated to those who have lost their lives in the line of duty. Deputy Robert Anthony Carroll, Chairman Jeffrey Colpeck. Sergeant Thomas Baker, Detective Randy Bell, Detective Rick Childers, uh, <clears throat> Patrolman uh, Jeffrey, uh, Jeffrey Curtis, David Curtis, Detective Sergeant Thomas Wilson, Charlotte County Sheriff's Department, Patrolman Charlie Condit, Tarpon Springs Police Department, Deputy Chief Mike Godwin, Philadelphia Fire Department, Lieutenant Joyce Craig Lewis, Philadelphia Fire Department. Sergeant James O'Connor, Philadelphia Police Department. Sergeant Chris LeVake, Hillsborough County Sheriff's Department. Patrolman Anapa Chris from Lakeland PD. Lieutenant Joe Zerba, Newcastle County Police. Patrolman, Patrol Deputy Josh um, Meyer, Nassau County Sheriff's Department. Captain Matt Letourneau, Philadelphia Fire Department. Captain Chris Leach, Philadelphia Fire Department. Lieutenant Hard of Hope, Wilmington Fire Department. Lieutenant uh, Jerry Pikes, Wilmington Fire Department. Trooper Joe, Joe Bullock, Florida Iowa Patrol. Trooper Chelsea Richards, Florida Iowa Patrol. Chief o- Al Hogel, Longwood Key Police Department. Chief Jimmy Ford, Wilmington Fire Department. My brothers and sisters, I love you maybe 10 7 at this point in time. Sometime we'll be 10 10 at the table of the Lord. Until that time, may the roads rise up to meet you. May the winds be always at your back. May the rains fall softly on your fields. The sunshine lightly on your face until we meet again. May the good Lord keep you and your families always in the palm of His hand. Good night. God bless and have a great week.
night, Bob. We love you and we miss you. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.